You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This week's episode is about an artist who not only excelled in his field, he pushed boundaries and created all new forms of art and entertainment. And in doing so, he shaped culture and arguably changed the world. I'm talking, of course, about Walt Disney. I feel like who art ed. Who art is Mr. Wood art ed me? Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and joining me today, I have Rob and Katie, the hosts of Live in Love and Disney. For this episode, we're going to be talking about Walt Disney, and who better than the hosts of Live in Love and Disney to talk about the man behind it all. Thanks for joining me. You're very welcome. Yeah, Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Uh, so... To to get into a little bit about the background, the 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 man behind the name that we all know, Walt Disney was born December fifth, nineteen oh one, in Chicago. But he actually spent most of his childhood in Marceline, Missouri. I'm sure I mispronounced that. Marceline, yes. <laughs> Marceline, you know it? I've always heard of Marceline, yep. but. Whatever. Awesome. <laughs> this is the first time I've had a guest who actually knows the pronunciation because like longtime listeners will know I cannot pronounce anything. Um, so Marceline, Missouri. And in 1911, he and his family moved to Kansas City. He loved trains. I guess his uncle was an engineer. And Walt Disney, um, he later got a summer job on the railroad. He was like selling newspapers and snacks and, mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff to passengers, I guess, like just from an early age, because he would have been what, like 10 at that time. Yeah. Like he was just a serial entrepreneur. It was yes, like in was. his DNA. Um, and he went to school high school in Chicago, and he took drawing and photography. I don't think there's any huge shock there. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like a perfect fit what, with what we know about his life later on. And he contributed uh, cartoons to the school newspaper. I also know that I think he got in trouble a few times as a kid drawing on his desk and stuff, uh, cartoons and stuff and as he was a kid. I think that's a rite of passage for artists. Yeah. Like yeah. I drew on the walls as a kid. Um, you know, it's just that creative spirit. You got to unleash yeah. it. Yeah, and you even got. I think he got in trouble for drawing on the side of the barn from his, <laughs> his dad. 
Everything is a piece of art when you're <laughs> yeah. an artist. So, well, the, <laughs> yeah, the blood definitely. When you're an artist, the whole world's your canvas. I, it's it's funny. He got in trouble for for drawing and painting on the walls. I got in trouble when I painted over it. My mom was like, <laughs> that was like one of the only times she was ever disappointed in me, or at least one of the only times she admitted it. Um, but, <laughs> but at night, he took classes at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, my old alma mater, and always got to give a shout out to SAIC when I see it come up. He dropped out of school, though, at age 16 to join the army. Um, you know, this was obviously the run up to like World War One. And, right. you know, he being the patriotic person that he was wanted to join the army and help out with the war effort. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. Army said, no, you're not old enough. You're 16. But 16 was good enough for the Red Cross, who sent him to France to drive an ambulance. Um, in, yeah. <laughs> did, did you know that his mother actually helped him to change his birth certificate so that he could go in? Yeah, didn't he? Altered it by a year. We went didn't to the he uh, He kind of forged it, I think. Oh, really? I, I didn't, remember yeah. I reading that. We went to the museum over there in San Francisco. Oh, and they that's... told us the story that Walt wanted to be in so bad that he went back and talked to his mother. And his mother actually forged his birth certificate by a year so that he could join. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I I had he just read about like boy. you know the yeah. the service that he provided, but I didn't I didn't realize like he got there through fraud. That's <laughs> and his mother <laughs> Kinda, supported yeah. him. That's, she knew his dream and what he was doing, and his heart was in the right spot. Yeah, um, and she supported and him in it. Yeah, and it's obviously a noble thing to help out, you know, driving an ambulance in war times or not, you know, right. working mm -hmm. to save lives is always yeah. an important thing. And he returned, obviously, after the war in 1919, came back to the U.S., settled in Kansas City, and he had hopes of making um, art for the newspaper. So he kind of gets a job for a Kansas City film ad company. And he made commercials using, like, cutout animations. And I believe that's where he first met um, Oob. I, I, I don't know how that – I think um, it's Ub Iwerks, but I'm not Ub sure Iwerks. about that. Mm -hmm. I've heard people say Oob, too, so I don't know. Uh, well, I, I appreciate <laughs> – your guess is more informed but than mine. I've always called him Ub Iwerks myself. But. Ub Iwerks. Um, but, you know, he met him early on, and that – obviously went on to be a pivotal relationship. It really yes. was. Um, you know, he started experimenting with cameras, hand-drawn animations, like, you know, the, the classic cell animation techniques around that time. Mm -hmm. And he had the courage to go out and stake his own claim. He created his own company, recruiting his first employees by, you know, poaching people from that ad agency. And Disney actually made a deal with the local movie theater to screen his company's animations. Um, they were first going under the name Laughograms, uh, mm -hmm. which right. doesn't really seem like the, the greatest name for marketing, but, you know, it worked for, for them because Laughogram did grow quite a bit. It was popular at the time. He hired several employees and they made a series of short sort of fairy tale, like a seven minute fairy tale. Right. Um, hmm. Which I thought this was really cool. When I read about this, I was not picturing this. There was a little bit of live action with animation in yeah. that that early work, which like that's that's really early actually, for that kind of. He was pretty 
um, successful Advanced. with that, actually. Mm -hmm. That's what, you know, when they went to L.A., eventually, that's the, he did quite a bit of that there. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, but like, like I said, just in terms of the, the development, that was earlier than I was expecting him to be yeah. doing that technique. And unfortunately, um, you know, it seems like they expanded maybe a little too quickly. They took on too much debt and had to, de to declare bankruptcy in 1923. But Walt, Roy, and Ub Iwerks, they moved to Hollywood in 1923. And, you know, Phoenix rising from the ashes, they came back mm -hmm. even stronger than before with the Disney Brothers Cartoon Studio, which was later renamed Walt Disney Studios. Right. You know, that's one thing I kind of admire about Walt Disney and a lot of iconic people in history, you know, a lot of them have failed a lot. Oh, absolutely. They, they, yeah, they didn't let yeah. it stop them. And he just seemed to look for the next thing that could like, capture people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, as I as I think through the the narrative of Disney, like what I'm always struck by is, you know, you've got the persistence of somebody who faces those setbacks and he keeps going, yeah. but also yep. like he is somebody who was just open to learning and pushing boundaries and taking some some risks, but responsible risks. He was he was thinking through, like he was prepared for um, all these different things. Like he learned and did his homework and built upon things and pushed boundaries in a way that worked out for him because he was willing to always try something new, whether it was creating you know, mm -hmm. these animations with new techniques, incorporating sound, um, you know, the first synchronized sound animation or like doing the automated robots and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Right. Um, create, I mean, Disneyland right now, we think of that as something that, you know, it's just out there in the world. Of course there's a Disneyland, but like there was nothing like that. There was no roadmap to yeah. this type of well, success. Yeah. I mean, people thought he was nuts half the time because I mean, his own brother would get kind of, I think upset with him a little bit because Walt had such these, these astronomical ideas of doing things. And he was, and Roy was just thinking like, how are we going to pay for this stuff? Yeah. But, you know, he was, <laughs> He was a genius in that. I mean, Roy, I'm talking Roy now. Um, he always figured out a way to make Walt's dreams, uh, come, dreams figure come to out. reality. Yeah. So with the cartoons, you know, same yeah. thing. He had the same, they had that, they always had that dynamic all the way through this whole yeah. journey, you know. Walt yeah. had, had great imagination, but he also was really, really good at, at inspiring everyone to really put a lot of input into their thoughts. And then he would listen to people in a, in a round of friends or him and Ub, and they would come up with some crazy idea. And, it, and like we would do periodically, we go, wouldn't it be cool if this could be that? Well, he would take it to the next step. We all just talk about it. He was a man of action. Okay, let's make that happen. But he also surrounded he himself up. with mm -hmm. people. You know, really, I, you know, Ub was a better artist than Walt, mm -hmm. and Walt knew it. So I think he grabbed onto that you know mm -hmm. and so i mean all, i mean uh you know we talked about steam but willie a little bit earlier but he drew that cartoon you know well i i think there's some truth to that mm -hmm. um that like ub was a, a a better drafts person than walt but i i would mm -hmm. 
I would argue that he was not a better artist. Okay. And I guess okay. part of it depends on how you define art. But the, the definition I've always gone with is art is the product of creativity. And okay. in that sense, with that definition, I would actually argue that Walt Disney is one of the greatest and most influential artists of the 20th I, I'll century. I agree with you on that. With yeah. that definition, yes. That, that, that nails it perfectly, actually. Mm-hmm. Because he was he was seeing the potential in all sorts of things. And mm-hmm. like you said, he recognized the skill sets of other people. Yeah. And he recognized when, you know, somebody has the skill to execute something better than he personally would in terms of like drawing it by hand or whatever. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But like that's bringing together that team. I mean, that's what an artist's studio is all about. And yeah, not everybody can do that, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, Katie, I think you said earlier, he inspired others to see the potential. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really true. And I think part of the reason that he was able to inspire so many people was because of the fact that he was willing to put it on the line as well to get that mm-hmm. vision out there. Like, I'm thinking of the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Before that movie there were not feature-length animations. That was unheard uh-huh. of. And you had talked right. about... You had talked about how, like, Roy looked at it, like, how are we going to make this work financially? Because the budget for that ballooned. It was huge for that time. It started off at 250000 which (laughs) is, it's it's a lot today. It went to, what, 1.4 million after that? Yeah, Yeah, it went to just shy of 1.5. I think it was, like, 1.48 million. (laughs) Yep. Um, Like, he had to put his house on the line for that to happen. It was referred to as Walt or Disney's folly. Well, like three years in production. But when it finally came out, it was in 1938. He gets an Academy Award, the recognition for creating something that like it was unheard of. He pushed the boundaries of film and animation as a medium. Yes, he did. Yeah, you know, Kyle, I, I, I got a buddy that when we were younger, we we were both fans of Walt Disney and we both wanted to be animators. And this is back before the computer animation and everything. And uh, so we made three short little cartoons. I mean, we used our little Super 8 movie camera. <laughs> yeah. And we we made our little drawing, you know, our little board uh, to shoot our, our shots off of and everything. Mm-hmm. And I remember we, I think we ended up drawing about 250 drawings for about, well, I don't even know if it was a minute long. So after we did that, and then we, you know, we were both Walt Disney nuts. So we read about, how many drawings it took to do Snow Out? It, it just blew my mind. What these guys accomplished was amazing. Mm-hmm. It really is amazing. And I think for our audience, we, we should clarify, when you're talking about traditional cell animations and you say all of those drawings, video and animation work on the principle that when we see a series of pictures with slight changes from one picture to another and they are played back at a certain speed, when it's played back at more than 10 frames or 10 pictures per second, the eye gets overwhelmed and it stops looking like a series of pictures and starts mm-hmm. looking like one that's constantly right. moving. So you said you took you made like 250 frames maybe. That would that would translate to like 10, 20 seconds of, of an yeah, animation. It wasn't, it wasn't that long because we did three cartoons on the same reel. So they were yeah. pretty short, but it's a lot of work. Nevertheless, I mean, I, it's, it's just, a ton of work. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, see what they did and how smooth 
the transitions are for those days. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. I just, well, and and that's why you can you can understand why when he said I am going to make a feature length animation, people would think like that's bonkers. You cannot yeah. do that, <laughs> yeah. even with a even with a with the studio team behind you. That's right. That's just a massive undertaking. But he did it, and, and he, he showed the world that it could be. Like he had this in his mind, and. He got others on board and seeing that vision and he executed it, or I guess they executed it. And that's why we have so much of the world that we have today. Right. You know, nobody bats an eye at the notion of a feature length animated film today. Some of some of my favorites are feature length animated films. Um, but that's the world that he created for us. It, yeah. Yeah, really. If it wasn't for what he did, we it wouldn't be, I, I don't know, maybe it would be, but maybe it wouldn't. Maybe we wouldn't have that. Or know? maybe it would be different. It would certainly yeah. be different. It's just like it's just like theme parks. I mean, can you think of anything else along the lines of Disney World? And, you know, I know Disneyland is the one that he executed during his lifetime. He was mm-hmm. making plans for Epcot and all of that right. um, before he passed. But, you know... I can't think of any theme parks that were such the immersive experience. I mean, Disneyland, I almost think of as probably like the world's largest art installation because it is a three-dimensional space. You are brought into a haunted mansion. You are brought into a whole – like you are living in that fantasy land with castles and – princesses and talking right. well not talking mice but you know what i'm talking like yeah you know it's fully immersive it's an immersive art. experience mm-hmm. it it makes the real world a little bit more magical right. and i think that's the kind of thing that i it absolutely took you out love. of it you know it took you out of reality for a, yeah. a small moment you to know, which a was place great. where anything is possible yeah. And Walt's everything that he did, all the creation, everything that he did proves to you when you're there that anything is possible. All of this started in a garage. All of this failed and came back. You know, this is all possible because of a dream of one person's inspiration and dedication to keep going. Yeah, and he failed, but yeah. he got back up, you know. And to just keep persevering and all the crud you deal with in life and your ideas to... He inspires greatness. Yeah. And it's one of those things when we talk about like he inspires, I think of the legacy of Walt Disney as as much more impactful than I think a lot of people necessarily give him credit for in the yeah. art world. When I say the art world, I guess the fine art world, the museum gallery spaces, because his animations and stuff, like he was pushing the boundaries of, of what animation could be. But also yeah. we think there would be no pop art without... Walt Disney and his cartoon legacy, you know, I mean, we think of Warhol having a great (laughs) debt to him, certainly. Um, But also I think of like so many, so many other installation artists, like I wonder if Christo and Jean-Claude would have been making, you know, installations that transform the world and make it a magical place if it weren't for Disney World and other, like other people who did make the world a more magical place. Mm -hmm. I I just think his impact on on the arts, you know. You know, they they were always thought of as the top notch animation studio too. 
for many, well, they still are, I think. Oh, absolutely. But I was also amazed when reading about um, the early years of Walt's life and stuff, how many of these animators that started other studios that, you know, actually worked for Walt Disney or, or in some way were uh, affiliated with Walt mm-hmm. in the early years. That was a pretty small community. And you got, you know, Warner Brothers coming out of that. You got, you know, all these other animation studios that came out of that who also had decent product. They were more short. They weren't as, they were at a different level. Walt Disney was at a different level than these other, you know, they were making short cartoons and pumping them out like Bugs Bunny and, uh, you know. Things like that. Tom and Jerry and stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was just interesting to me that all these guys kind of, at some point intertwined. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people who have the passion for, for an industry, like the people who are really good at it and really passionate about it, they tend to find each other and feed off of each other and learn from each other. But I also think, you know, I, I love these stories that I read about artists because you know, reading about all sorts of different artists, some of them are a little bit disappointing when you learn about like who they were and right. what their character was. But I love these stories. Like Walt Disney, he gave back to the community. You know, I mean, whether it was like, you know, in the 60s doing the California Institute of Arts, like he helped right. to coordinate the the merging of those two schools right. that became the California Institute of Arts. But also I think of like, in the war effort, in World War II specifically, like when when um, Pearl Harbor was was bombed, you know, he invited the army to occupy his studios and That's basically right. uh-huh. set up a protective space. Um, you know, he was using his animations to to create, you know, Donald Duck going into the enlisting and 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 Disney characters all over the insignias in, across the military, and I. I I think, you know, a cynical person might say like, well, he was he was profiting off of that and getting paid by the government. And he, you know, it kept right. him afloat in a lean time or, you know, it did it, what kind of did actually. It, it, it did. A bad thing. I mean, I, also, yeah. I don't I don't Helps. think there's a negative Cause. to that. But but I also think like that's probably part of the reason that, you know, Disney has occupied this space in the American ethos and like in in the heart of America because right. he built up a lot of goodwill with a lot mm-hmm. of people by doing what he could to help out with the war effort and being on the right side of history on that one. You know what yes. I mean? I mean, like he Absolutely. was he was doing what he could to give back to the community. And I don't think it was like a cynical cash grab. I think it worked uh-huh. out for him, but as we said before, you know, long before all of that, he was running off to enlist as a teenager and yeah, putting right. himself in hard, harm's way. He just felt a need to try to do the right thing to help where he could. Right. And I, I always like stories where I see a person who tries to do what they can to help uh-huh. and do good, and they also, you know, succeed. So that's... That's where yes. I like. Um, I guess should we get into one of his pieces? I I pulled up Steamboat sure. Willie to discuss, just because I mean that's that's what brought us Mickey Mouse. Oh, it's, on the day after his birthday too. Oh, really? Mickey wow. Mouse was born yesterday in 1928. Eighteenth, and 
as Walt says, he was born on a train, on a napkin, on a train. <laughs> I didn't know he was born on a napkin on a train. I I knew he was kind of came about because they needed a replacement for Oswald. Yes. Right. Um, because of like intellectual property disputes. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think it worked out for the best having seen both of the characters. I think, you know, I mean, Mickey if you is, switched out the ears, they almost look identical. But <laughs> there, there's a lot of resemblance. But there's there's a lot of a resemblance. But it, did work, it definitely worked out for sure. Yeah. It is a better character, I think. I, I think you that, can't say Mickey without smiling. Yeah, who knows? We, we wouldn't have what we, we probably wouldn't have what we had if it was Oswald the Rabbit. I, I don't know. Who knows? Well, and I, I also just think like it's it's those little tweaks that make a difference. I, yeah. I think the repetition of circles is visually satisfying. It it's is. It's pleasing to me. I don't know. Um, but I guess I always like to let the guests go first because I bully the conversation in the first segment. <laughs> what um, does that sound like? So with Steamboat Willie, uh, what jumps out to you? Well, I, it was the first sound cartoon. I, w- I was pretty amazed with the depth perception that he got with the inventions that they did. Um, it changed cartoons from a little one-dimensional or two-dimensional soundless variety to a multi-plane animation with sound. Everything just changed, and it would never go back. It, it just made everything yeah. change. Yeah, I think it- – I was I was really struck with that too because like when we think about the silent movie era, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't totally silent as like right. you know for for people who obviously none of us remember that time, but mm-hmm. there are plenty oh, of records. Baby, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but but like silent movies basically had a separate soundtrack. It was mm-hmm. the equivalent of like. You hope you hit play on the record player and the right. the movie at the same time, and it's oh, going to be a Oregon second or player two. or something playing with it, didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's like going to be there's going to be sound, but it's not perfectly in sync. Right. And and as you said, this was the first one where it's truly synchronized audio. Mm-hmm. And as I watched it, I just kept being struck by how much it's just celebrating that achievement in every way that they could. So many different sounds, you know, he's clanging on some pans. He's got, they got a sound for the, you know, the tooting of the horn. He's even, I think they even have a sound when he's turning the, the ship's wheel, you know, and and they're all, and they're all, and to make all, they're all, when they made this soundtrack, they're all grab, probably grabbing different stuff to make different noises. It's, well, they're, they're doing all of that stuff. And also, like, I think the fact that he's making all of those sounds, he's playing the the pots and pans like drums. Yeah. It's all of these sort of staccato things coming out as just like individual notes that he's hitting the just to like right. just to yeah. scream at the audience. Look what's happening yep. in time with the visuals, yeah. you know, and it's That's like something they had never seen before. It's something people had never seen before, and he's making sure that they see and they recognize it yeah. with all of those gags coming out in sync. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that and, was one of the things I read about was all the all the amount of gags they put in with this. And, you know, the, yeah, the, what, the goose? You know, squeezing yeah. the goose to make it like the horn. and Backpipes with a goose. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, he's he's doing all of that stuff. It's like it's so many of those like cartoon tropes of like the slapstick comedy that right. that is just it's delightful. It's what people enjoy about cartoons is just the the silliness, the fact that like, mm-hmm. you know, these animals can do these things that obviously won't happen in the real world, but it's just wouldn't it be funny if and it's like it's a real a little bit surreal. In some mm-hmm. ways, like it's the, just this connection between like, well, a goose honks and what instrument kind of makes that honking sound. So maybe right. if I squeezed a goose, it's going to make that sort of a sound and all of that. Like um, it, like I said, it, it feels very surreal. And when I think about art in that time period, the surrealist movement was pretty popular. Later on, Disney actually even did a, a an animation with Salvador Dali. Um, but I digress because... I like tangents, um, <laughs> but, but Steamboat Willie, like, it feels like a triumphant animation. Like it's not, mm-hmm. it it's fun and silly in, in the way that cartoons are, but again, it's also just like, it's declaring to the, the entire world, we Look have this skill do. now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have you ever been to a, a movie and walked out of the theater going, that was a the best movie I've seen in forever. I mean, people probably thought that when they left, when they left the theater after seeing something like this, they'd never seen before. And the achievement that, I mean, they were obviously, look what it did to change the face of animation. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, they probably time. Yeah, people were impressed after war. There wasn't a lot of joy and happiness and simple joys like that. And I think, again, Walt was so inspired to try to bring a moment of joy to escape the world and the the problems that they had. If I can bring a little joy into their lives, it was worth it in some way. And he did it. He kept doing it. Yeah. And I I think... You know, I don't. I don't know that I have a better note to end on. I mean, he brought people <laughs> joy, and it's in the a time, time they yeah. needed it. And I, yeah. I think that's that's what his art and that's what his legacy really is all about. He yeah, made the is. world a more magical place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, with everything he did, with everything, yeah. you know, with the parks. Um, you know, that was his whole thing: was where can I work with families, go and spend the day together. together. You know, and there's something there for everybody to do, and as a family. You know, it was just that kind of a thing. And he did that in everything he did. He really tried to to bring that joy to people. Yeah. And I think, I think he, he succeeded in that for sure. Yeah. Like I said, I think that's the perfect note to end on. I'm wrapping it up. I want just a three-point rating scale. And where should this hang? The loo? Is this something to look at? The lab? The lab. Is this something to learn from? Or the loop. British for the bathroom. Yeah, there's a the loop joke in there somewhere. Oh, that's terrible. I think this is classic art that needs to be preserved forever. That's definitely not a waste. And I not think at all. because of the 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 difference it made in art, it needs to be something obviously to learn from as well as cherished. Mm-hmm. It's always ought to be seen. You know, that's one of my Favorite things to go into when I go to Disneyland, and I'm not sure if they have it here at Disney World, I can't remember, but they have a little theater on Main Street that's always showing Crazy Plane, Steamboat Willie. Like there's like three different cartoons they show in there, and they're always playing. And I think that's kind of what needs to be. I think we need to sure, remember, and remember that, that stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. No doubt. I think everybody needs to know about that. 
Yeah, I, I, it's it's hard for me to disagree with that statement. I mean, the, <laughs> it, it it feels like it's historically important, you know, just for the development of of the medium and right. for for so much that came out from it. Um, you know, it 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 feels like a, a museum piece and maybe one for the lab because I think. At that time, especially, people were looking at that and studying that and scratching their heads, like, "How did he just do that?" And right. I think but they that learned from it. That's I'm, the thing. Yeah, everything I, changed after that point. That's Absolutely. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, that team of people he had with him. I think, you know, Ab. I think Ab was a he was a smart a smart man. I'm not trying to put Ub above Walt Disney. Not but, by any means. But because Walt definitely had something different that Ub didn't have because mm-hmm. he did not, he had his chance to have his own studio and everything. And he was very talented, but it didn't work. And the reason it didn't work is because he didn't have what Walt had. He couldn't mm-hmm. bring all the pieces together. Walt had a special knack for bringing everything together and making something special out of it. And that's, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's Walt Disney. Yeah. He's and, always been able yeah. to do that. And that's, I don't know. Can I just say behind every great man is a great woman. His I, wife, I can't whatever, imagine Katie. what she went through, <laughs> you know, being young and having your husband keep saying all these crazy things and going broke. And, and she just kept going right along. You betcha, honey, let's make it happen. She was very supportive. It was like crazy supportive. So I think just, yeah. It's a and, pair. Well, and I think I think you do bring up a, a good point that it had to have taken a toll on, oh, yeah. on oh, for sure. not not only his wife, his his family in, in general yeah. and, and friends. I mean, there's a strain on everybody. Um, but but also, as you said, he brought all those pieces together. He had the vision of figuring out how to make it work mm-hmm. and how to bring out the best in all those different people and figure out like, okay, Roy's got the business sense. He knows the numbers and of yeah. is this great creative talent. And we're going to put all of these pieces together and it's going to make something magical. And it worked and it changed the world. And like yeah, I said, I think I know people say Picasso, but I, for my money, Walt Disney is probably the most influential artist of the 20th century. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, Rob and Katie, once again, from Mm -hmm. Live and Love and Disney. Um, Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You're very, very welcome. Thank you, Kyle. It's been, been a pleasure. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted? If you found this tolerable, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week in the show notes on Twitter at WoodArtEd and on the website whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.